0: Welcome, everybody. This is episode 36 of the Tilted Lawyer podcast. This afternoon, we are right on the eve of the verdict from the Lori Vallow trial. We're going to discuss some of the more salacious text messages that came out last week or this week in the trial that further highlight how bizarre that couple was um, Mm -hmm. that led to the disappearance and ultimate murder of those young children. We're going to discuss... Um, The Letitia Stouch verdict that came down And the judge's scathing remarks upon sentencing Other than that, we're going to do about an hour and a half So you might want to strap in And uh, let's get started What's up, everybody? I'm Omar Serrato, experienced and practicing attorney, fierce litigator, and unofficial commentator on the most popular legal issues of the day. I'm the host of the Tilted Lawyer podcast, joined by Ileana Colon Rosa and the TLP crew, where we break down the human aspects of law that everybody wants to talk about. I've been a practicing attorney for many years, but nothing in this show is or should be taken as legal advice. We're not going to pull any punches. We might even get a little bit dirty, but we want you to join us anyway. And we are back. So, Lori Vallow, the last time that you were here, Ileana, we did a whole show uh, exposing the bizarre, cult-like, religious beliefs that were, I can't even describe it as the actual Mormon religion. Mm -hmm. There's been a lot of people that have tried to summarize the Mormon religion and what it stands for, most famously... South Park came up with an episode where they did a whole uh, synopsis of what they believed it was. And I'm not saying it was that, but um, I'm just going to guess that the, uh, the the takeaways from Lori Vallow and Chad Daybell, this guy that couldn't sell any books, he he, he had an annual salary that came out at trial about of, of like $30,000 a year. Okay. So remember we talked about how he was writing all these religious yes. books and mm-hmm on uh, the end of the world and his bizarre religious beliefs. Well, he didn't really sell many books and um, his wife was the breadwinner in that relationship, the one that he murdered or Alex murdered or somebody murdered. And yeah, his total income was about $30,000 a year and uh, he looked like, um, well, I don't want to come on on his looks too much, but he just was not the type that you would... uh, Imagine would get caught up in in a thing like this with a a lady like uh, Lori Vallow. Mm -hmm. But I have my hands on some of the text messages that the prosecution used to prove the conspiracy to murder not just Tammy Daybell, his ex-wife, well, his deceased wife, not just Charles Vallow, uh, who was Lori's uh, deceased husband, but also the children. So these text messages, completely circumstantial. And here's the big takeaway. They were doing closing arguments today. And they were trying to tie this case completely together. And the thing that they, they didn't release the audio of the closing statements live. Like they've been released since. And I've been trying to get like transcripts or something. I've, I've heard most people just comment on on the highlights of what was said in the closing arguments. And it was the the, the stuff that you would mostly focus on death of the children and the the phone call the text messages that were insinuating that there was a plan and that lori took steps furthering that plan just typical stuff and the closing arguments from daybell's team was like okay well i didn't hear a single text message ordering for the murder of children or um show me one piece of evidence where she knew that her children was dead because the whole time she was keep, all she kept on saying was her children were safe. That was their main uh, closing argument, right? So um, one of the things that the prosecution hit on was that Lori Vallow was all about sex, money, and crazy offshoots of the Mormon religion. And then the defense team was like, well, obviously it wasn't about sex because have you seen Charles Daybell? Nobody wants to have sex with that guy. And and then I I heard that Lori kind of got really pissed off at her attorney for saying that comment. It was a fair point. The guy's got like eight chins. Did you see those pictures? Jesus. Oh, you know, I was at dinner for um, my daughter had a birthday yesterday and my brother was there. And he came to join us and um, I was making fun of his hairline. And so I was like, hey, did your hair, did did your, did your forehead get any bigger since the last time I saw you? And then um, he was all embarrassed about it. And then my wife got, well, she said, hey, that was kind of mean. It's like, yeah, I'm his older brother. That's just kind of how it is. Par for the course, par for the course. (laughs) And so um, I don't have any problem commenting on the appearance of Chad, even though I said I wouldn't, but it's kind of funny. What
1: is there? We go. There go. <laughs> okay. It is funny that the attorney will make their argument. Like, like, I guess he didn't have anything else to say. That other than, like to comment on his yeah. physical appearance. Like, yeah, I don't have anything. But hey, well, here's <laughs> how <thing>. about this? <laughs> they
0: didn't offer any witnesses. Mm-hmm. They didn't. All they did was cross-examine people. They didn't even yeah. pull up experts to talk about different things. There was no defense. It was mm-hmm. just uh, okay. Well, the prosecution rests. Uh, defense. Your uh, case in chief? No, we mm-hmm. rest. Okay. There was a lot of questions about whether or not Lori Vallow on appeal would mm-hmm. be able to argue ineffective assistance of counsel on the grounds that her defense team called zero witnesses and offered zero evidence to support her defense. And the obvious answer to that is no. That You can't. No. Mm-hmm. That's not. Because she would have to prove that some other attorney by virtue of offering some evidence would have got a different exactly. verdict, which is always a tall task. It, it's just.
1: And sometimes in these cases, there's just not any like proof or witnesses to present. It's just yeah. all testimonial. Like
0: it's the, actually more common than you think. It's yes, like, uh, it is when you're a criminal defense attorney, you sometimes don't have to put on a case. Mm-hmm. The burden it's not your burden. Yeah. Uh, sometimes it's enough to discredit through cross-examination, the people's witnesses or, um, you know, discredit their experts. Now, Mm -hmm. I mean, usually you do that with your own expert, but Mm -hmm. still it's not that uncommon for a defense team to just not put on evidence and just say, well, prosecution proved their case, so my client's guilty. Now, granted, that's usually in cases where there's not really much evidence to uh, exculpate their client. Mm -hmm. And so, well, it was a case. She's not going to get away with a... um, an effective assistance of counsel yeah. claim here. It's just not going to, it's not going to happen. So um, the other question that I heard was whether or not a conviction of Lori Daybell is going to lead to uh, Charles, not Charles, what's his name? Chad? Chad. Chad. Mm-hmm. Whether or not it would lead to Chad taking a deal in his case because his, mind you, they got a whole nother trial. They're going to yeah. do this again with Chad. And... The They're getting a sneak preview over how this trial is going to go, not just with how the jury is going to affect mm-hmm. it, but how it's affecting the general public and what their general takeaways are from the evidence. So they're getting this truly unique uh, window of insight into the strength of his defense. And well, it's not going very well for Lori mm-hmm. and the case against Charles is significantly stronger. Mm-hmm. So it's likely that we don't even see a trial for a yeah. Chad Daybell. I mean, you could argue that if all he's facing is life in prison, what has he got to lose, which is fair. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I guess we'll find out. But I wanted to go over some of the text messages. Yes. Because we commented a lot a couple of weeks ago Mm -hmm. when we did uh, this show. About the bizarre love affair that they had, about the whole timeline of events leading from the day that she divorced Charles to you know custody disputes, and she meets him on this weird—wasn't it like some kind of a church convention they met? And then they did a podcast together. She was the like one of the five fans of his books. Yes, exactly. It was through
1: his books and some, I guess, group. That we're meeting, like, to discuss yeah, that whole
0: that following. Whole relationship yeah. And then we started, we, we briefly touched on how um, bizarre the um, their beliefs were. Mm-hmm. But I had no idea until I read some of these text messages just what we were talking about. Mm. So, okay. So, this is from uh, Last Week in Trial. Okay. They brought in a forensic uh, person that had access to the cell phone to get into some of the text message mm-hmm. conversations between the two. So, and there's a whole timeline of it. So back on July uh, 15, 2019, special agent Doug Hart goes on the stand. Uh, this was actually on Monday. Okay. And they're talking about Lori's iCloud accounts and the text message between mm-hmm. Lori and Chad. So on this is July 15th. This would have been approximately a month okay. before the deaths, a month and a half before the deaths of her children. Mm -hmm. And um, one thing that did not stand out to me before reading these text messages was the children passed away before Tammy did. Tammy passed away in October. Okay, The children passed away August or September. Mm -hmm. I believe it would have been September. So all this was like at the same time. Hmm. But we'll get into it. Uh, So on July 15th, Chad texts, Lori, Um, I know you won't get this text for another hour or so, but my love for you is overflowing right now. (laughs) I just want to hold you love endlessly. S-I-C, that's how we wrote it. You are my wonderful best friend that I can't live without. Two heart emojis. If your husband sent you a text message like that, what would you think?
1: I would just... (laughs) <laughs> i'm not i mean that's the type of stuff that he knows not to send me because i'm gonna be like Ugh,
0: my wolf. wife would think i was being funny he's yes like,
1: exactly he's like uh, are you trying to be an asshole right yes. now like what's your problem i would what really, is wrong with you i wouldn't take it as a romantic gesture let's just say that
0: no it'd be like some sarcastic oh you're you trying are you trying to be a dick yeah so literally, what my wife would say so lori responds um and yet you are, because he said he didn't want to live without her. And he says, "And yet you are so sad." Three sad emojis, missing you. Just landed. Got to get to work. So this is—he's still married, yes. Tammy, mm-hmm. and they're. I'm, well, that's why she said that, because while well, you're not mm-hmm. with me, you're with uh, you're with Tammy. So uh, there's a level of manipulation there. And now look, I'm I am not saying uh, that Lori Vallo. Mm-hmm. is attractive by any stretch mm-hmm. because she's not my type for one for <laughs> two. She's a, she's just, um, I don't know. I, with what I know about her, I, I personally find her disgusting, but for objectively speaking, exactly looking at her and looking at Chad, mm-hmm. she's still about five levels above his lead. Mm-hmm. He's probably like a rookie ball and she's double a. And so he's, he's hitting above his pay grade <laughs> with her. And so she's probably got him all uh, whatever. And, you know, um, what's weird about it is his wife was not really unattractive. know, mm-hmm. she was fine. She seemed like a, a decent woman, a good wife. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know anything about their relationship mm-hmm. other than it ended up in death. Um, but my take on what happened to Chad is there's probably a level of manipulation on both parties. Chad manipulating Lori okay. with him convincing her. Mm-hmm. And you wouldn't think that you could do like, she, seriously, she fell for that. Mm-hmm. But he literally convinced her that he was some kind of a Mormon prophet.
1: Okay.
2: That
0: he had some spiritual credibility that led to a, uh, some kind of standing in the universe. That he had some kind of direct connection to Jesus Christ mm-hmm. and uh, the 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 gods that they pray to. That gave him some advantage or I don't know. He had some truth and she convinced Mm her. He or he convinced her of that. She used what she knew, Mm -hmm. which was uh, that she was probably above his pay grade Mm -hmm. uh, to manipulate him. So they're manipulating each other. Yeah. Which I mean, Mm -hmm. is that really an all that uncommon? That's kind of what people do when they're trying to Mm -hmm. in the beginning of a relationship. It's kind of how it works both ways. But Chad's big. Asset, I guess, was his religion. <laughs> For Chad, uh, Lori was just some girl that he didn't think yeah. he had a chance with, and yet she was talking to mm-hmm. him. So here we go. Um, fast forward to July 18th. Hart testifies that the text message sent on July 18th directly referred to Charles Vallow's life insurance policy. Um, Charles Vallow was shot and killed by Alex Cox in what was later claimed self-defense. And mm-hmm. obviously we know now that that was likely just a murder. Mm-hmm. Uh, so July 18th, they're talking about the insurance company. Lori texts Chad. So I just got the letter from the insurance company saying I'm not the beneficiary.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: It is a spear through my heart. Who do you think ch- he changed it to? Was it Brandon or probably Kay? He left nothing for JJ. Chad to Lori. Wow, mm-hmm. that's terrible. Is there no way to find out? Lori says, I might be able to see when I get this com- his computer on Sunday. I could check the emails I sent to the insurance company. Anyway, they're talking about Insurance
2: Mm
0: -hmm. stuff. Um, I don't think that there was anything salacious from that, but she, Lori does mention that I talked to the insurance company. He changed it in March. Ned, before we got rid of him, I think Ned was the name that she used for Charles. If I recall. Yes. Yes. Uh, They can't tell me to who, of course, who the new beneficiary would have been. I'd imagine it would have been, well, I don't know who it was, but Mm -hmm. uh, she says she's still going to get about 4,000 a month from social security. Mm Mm-hmm. Lori says to Chad, I don't think it could have, Uh, you can't change it after the death. Oh, this is something else that he responded Mm. to. And then, okay, so Chad now says, I'm going, I have been instructed to focus my efforts on Hillary. Who is Hillary? Um, Hart, the FBI agent, testifies that Hillary was a name assigned to the spirit in Tylee's body, the 16-year-old, the demon Okay. That's inside. That's possessing Tylee. Okay. Um, Raphael (laughs) um, is Chad. Chad named himself Raphael. It's bizarre. Yes. It's just bizarre. (laughs) Um, Blake is Melanie's son. There's a mention of Blake, but Chad tells Lori, I've been instructed to focus my efforts on Hillary. You know, when I read these text messages, you know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of like when I was six. Mm -hmm. And I was playing like masters of the universe or Ninja Turtles. And it's like, okay, I'm going to go tell master splinter that I'm going to now focus on the shredder. And we're going to totally, you know, like concocting this imaginary world. It's what it feels like. Like I'm back in second grade or something. Um, So moving on uh, more about that. So what is Blake's percentage? Remember Blake is Melanie's son. Okay. And Percentage they're talking about a percentage is of a darkness. Okay, yes. Remember? Yes. Lori says to Chad, so what's Blake's percentage? He drew three crosses on the wall in his bedroom. We just finished painting over them, like he was marking it for the dark side to find him. Oh. This is a conversation that two adults are having about a child.
1: Oh my goodness.
0: And then yes. Chad, and Chad, without missing a beat, I'd imagine straight faced, mm-hmm. says, Blake is at seven and then he says I took my sword of light and sliced his aura vertically in several places you should be able to now rip and burn it rip and burn what I imagine she's, he's talking about the demon possessing the yeah. child but he's level seven darkness right
1: what's the max
0: <laughs> I think I think the I think the max is ten
1: okay so he's if like I'm 70%. not mistaken
0: yeah so seventy <laughs> percent dark yeah." Um, goodness. Anyway, he took he took his sword of light, his lightsaber, yeah, and he sliced uh his aura vertically. And then he says, I also decreased his pain tolerance to one percent and greatly increased his pain. His desire to part is now at 80%. Oh A grown man saying this. This reminds me of that one episode of South Park where it's like a Cartman takes his picture with uh, one of his friends. And then they're like, well, that makes you gay now. It's like, what? No, it doesn't make me gay. No, it totally does. Because if you don't do that, then it's not going to reverse the gay polarity. That's the way that they're talking about. They're talking like legitimately, scientifically, like this means anything. Um, Two grown people in their 40s having this conversation about children. Anyway.
1: This is like the books, (coughs) like maybe I read in my preteen years, that it's like a lot of fantasy and like yeah. ghosts and stuff like Lord that. Lord of the Rings or something? Not Lord of the Rings, but I, <coughs> I, I don't think I ever read like the mainstream books. But you know, like the, the preteen uh, area in the in the bookstore, there's a lot of yeah. books that have like all the magic and the ghost and the demons and it's... Who's that
0: one famous uh, child's author that everybody read, every girl read? I forget her name, um. but there's like this famous author. I know you're talking about like those those yes. uh, magic books. Yeah, you that's never, what
1: it reminds me of. Like, well, yeah, <laughs> it reminds
0: me of that too, except yeah. in Ninja Turtles. You're thinking of preteen books. I'm thinking of like uh, uh, He-Man and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> so July 21st, um, Lori says to Chad, found it. Nave gave all of it to Rhonda. She's talking about the life insurance policy. Oh. Chad says, glad you found that out. It fits. Now she will try to take him. Thanks for working on her. Work on me too. Reading all this stuff makes me sick. Chad says, we will work hard on Rhonda when we are together. I will get her numbers as low as I can by Wednesday. Lori to Chad. Good. Let's work on it hard. They're talking about working on the demons inside various people that have upset them. Because Rhonda, it's just. I forget who Rhonda was. Who was Rhonda?
1: Yeah, I don't remember who Rhonda was. Um, I
0: want to say that Rhonda's like a sister-in-law of okay. Charles or something like that. It's hard to keep track of all of yes. these names. I know. It's they're like just the, all over the place. They're, they're the renaming people. Like uh, Lori is Elena mm-hmm. and Lori. And then Chad is also Raphael. And then uh, Tylee is uh, this other, I don't know. But they rename everybody. Um, so anyway. It's crazy. Later that day, Chad texts Lori. James and Elena. Oh, this is so corny.
1: Elena, how do they spell that one? E-l-e-n-a-n-a?
0: Elena. Elena, E-L-E-N-A. N-A-L-E-N-A. Yeah, white girl, like a white Elena. girl. Not, well, how, is there a Hispanic way to say that? Elena. How did I say it? Elena. Okay, I said it
1: like, <laughs> <laughs> So it sounds like my name and I'm like trying to figure out like, is it Elena? I said it like a gringo or, is what you're trying to say. Yes, Elena.
0: <laughs> all right, well, um, I want you to imagine that your husband texted you this. Okay, and just say how, how quickly would, just, all right. James and Elena had agreed to visit the temple the following morning. She returned to the hotel room, and after additional romance on the couch, they calmed their nerves enough to give each other a blessing. As James placed her hands on her head, he connected with Elena's true eternal self. He knew he was in the presence of the exalted goddess who had returned to earth to perform a special mission. This mission included being with him and they would progress together as translated beings. The full plan wasn't yet completely clear to him, but the immense power radiating from her confirmed his belief that she was among the great women in the universe.
1: That's a text.
0: That is a text. That Just a full block of text. A full text.
1: (laughs) Sounds like an expert from
0: a book. (laughs) He was writing her um, a poem, I guess. (laughs) Yes,
1: that's, I mean... (laughs) I just can't imagine my husband texting that. But I mean, I guess in their relationship, it was normal.
0: My wife would think I was fucking high. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Like, it's like, what
0: are you on? Are you tripping on right now? Or somebody's told us cell
1: phone or something like that. That's just.
0: Charles Bukowski, the great writer, uh, would say that this. This writing is lifeless. This writing is dog shit. This writing makes me want to vomit. I could see why he only made 30,000 a year. This is not yeah. a writer. This is a fake a wannabe writer when his sentences have zero life in them, which I agree because I was bored out of my mind, even though it was entertaining. It's just bad writing. Yeah, it doesn't
1: say anything. It's like He's an like, eighth like, grader oh. wrote it, you know? It's using big words, and he makes this, like, I guess the magic
0: mystery, whatever. But he's Religion. manipulating her. You see what he's doing? He's, he's exalting yes. her to the level of Mormon goddess who has uh, a, a great woman. She is a great woman in the universe. Power radiating from her confirmed that she was a great woman. Immense power, he says. And uh, her true eternal self, Elena. I said Elena. It's Elena. And- I'm not gonna say that you know what you're making Elena. fun of. I could tell. I could feel you. Elena.
1: Well it, it, in between Elena and Elena, you can say Elena? I don't know. It's
0: it's you know what, not me. Um
1: it's like I, Helen, but in Spanish it's Elena.
0: Yeah, but it's I, I feel like when, when you say Elena, I feel <laughs> like that's how I said it too. But you said I said it Elena. Elena, yeah. Like it, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. All right. Yeah. So Moving on now on July 21st, Charles had just passed away Mm -hmm. when he's texting her all of this poetry Mm -hmm. that he sat under a rainbow in the forest, writing with his book of Mormon books and his stack of his own personal prose. Um, July 23rd, 2019, Lori texts Chad. "Um, Good morning. I'm missing you. Didn't sleep much. Need you to check JJ. Now, JJ, her son, yes. the seven-year-old. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Weird stuff happened in the middle of the night. It's like they distracted us with Blake. When you get home, check Tylee. She's being super sweet and helpful, and she cleaned a room. She is. Uh, she got switched. This is totally not her. See if she got switched. Oh, my So imagine you're a 16-year-old and you're living your life. You're cleaning your room. You're trying to be a good kid. And your mom is secretly believing that because of that, you are possessed by a dream. Hey, check if somebody switched her. Chad, could you check if she got switched? That's literally what she said. Chad responds, yes, she was switched. Please let me know when you can talk and I will explain it. Who knows what the explanation was? But Tylee sealed her fate by being a good kid. Mm Mm-hmm. And J.J. sealed his fate because, well, I'm not even sure. She didn't even say what he was doing. She just says that uh, weird stuff happened with J.J. It's like they distracted us with Blake.
1: It's like she will tell him all this stuff so that she could get, like, the reassurance of, I guess, whatever they believe in, of the demons. And it's like, okay, now I have an excuse to get rid of them. It's
2: It's, bizarre. Okay, so
0: my take on it is she definitely genuinely believes um, in this nonsense. Mm -hmm. And she genuinely believes that this guy is an authority figure Mm -hmm. and possesses some kind of secret knowledge. Clearly she believes, right? Mm
2: -hmm.
0: She is leaning on him very heavily to figure out whether or not her children are possessed. Mm -hmm. To the point where, like, they came up with levels of darkness and she believes in his lightsaber, (laughs) And she believes that he can tell or has communication directly with somebody could know whether or not their children have been switched with a demon or not. That's crazy. It's frankly, uh, knowing that those children were living with that lady is uh, just really sad. So July 29th, this is six days after the whole, that whole conversation, Mm -hmm. Chad tells Lori, one question, do you want me to call? do you want me to cause pain yet? to those two threes that you're riding with, Mm -hmm. the two threes. He's talking about the two kids that are riding in the car with her. Threes, as in level three darkness. Okay. Right? Um, He's asking if you want me to cause pain to those children. What does that mean? How is he going to cause pain? That wasn't exactly clear from the text messages, but they're having this conversation. Lori answers, probably hold off on then till we arrive. They're going to be, they will be, Mistake to deal with. She meant miserable. They will be miserable to mm-hmm. deal with, but I'll text you if they start acting up and we can zap them. They're talking about yeah. children. Chad says, sounds great. Yes, if they're going to act up, we'll at least give them a reason to scream. And then he says, I love, cherish, reassure, and adore you. The, mo- the wonderful memories just keep coming back. You are mesmerizing. Raphael is one lucky guy. He's the mm-hmm. Raphael. Again, imagine your husband says some bullshit to you like that. (laughs) I mean. Like, what in the hell is wrong with you?
1: And this lady, you said that she was deemed, like, I guess not crazy.
0: (laughs) Oh, no, competent. She was competent. She was competent on
1: trial. But did she have any other, like, I don't know, mental health issues that although she's competent, like, it could be manage with medication, schizophrenia, or something like that? Because this is like...
0: Well, guess, one, yeah. one of the questions going into the trial was whether or not she was going to plead guilty or not guilty by reason of insanity. Mm-hmm. But no, she didn't plead that. Okay. She just pled not guilty. I think, I guess the defense thought circumstantially, if all they have is circumstantial, then they don't have enough to convict.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And she was found not competent to stand trial.
1: At some but point. then
0: she was found competent so i don't mm-hmm. doubt that she had a mental illness i don't mm-hmm. doubt that at all yeah i think if she was going to assert a defense that would have probably been her best shot at it but getting a diagnosis like that not understanding what she was doing was wrong
1: yeah honestly little... i would
0: believe i would buy that way before i believed that she didn't have anything to do with the murders mm-hmm. yeah because i if i'm reading these text messages i believe that she probably believes that all of this is real.
1: That's why I'm like, how?
0: (laughs) I don't believe that Chad thinks that it's real. I think that it, well, I don't know what he believes, but I I just get the impression that he's making it up as he goes Mm -hmm. and she's kind of just going along with it. And he's convinced her because of whatever weird stuff she was Mm -hmm. into, that this is a real thing. So, at any rate, continuing on, um, Hart, he testified that uh, the message was about hurting children. He said that the threes referred in the message were Brighton and Blake. Those are Melanie's sons. In um, the message shared with the jury, Chad and Lori also say that Kay Woodcock, that that's the grandmother, mm-hmm. uh, does not appear inclined to share the life insurance money with Charles Vallow's death, prompting Lori to call Kay and her husband Larry jerks. Uh, whatever to that. On July 30th, um, Chad says to Lori, I got the inspiration to go back to my original death percentages that helped us track Charles, Ned, etc. Mm-hmm. Tammy is very close. Her percentage has fallen steadily since Hiplos left. Hiplos. I feel like I Googled that a couple of days ago, and Hiplos was like some kind of a... a like
1: great god or something like that, it sounds like. No,
0: not a, like a Mormon. Who is Hiplos? Oh, yeah. I don't
1: know anything about Mormon religion. I mean...
0: Well, I had to Google it. Um, Hiflos being a Chad, oh, it's a Chad creation. Unscrambled spells Polish, and didn't Charles have a Polish background? Well, it's not a real thing. It's something that he conjured, okay. he made up. But they refer to other, like, very specifically Mormon religious phrases. Mm-hmm. Um, Hiflos was not one of them. That was Chad's bullshit. Um, Lori responds to Chad, so what is percent? what is the percentage now? What is JJ's? Mm-hmm. Tammy is at three. JJ is at two. Both are being heavily shielded to stop intruders, meaning Chad is trying to shield them Mm -hmm. from the demons. Lori to Chad, two and 3%, not zero. Chad says, I will explain to you when we talk. Okay. And then she says, I'm still feeling hot for you. (laughs) And then he says, yes, we might need to release a little steam when we talk. (laughs) Oh, he's such a Chad. Yes. (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) Weirdo. Um which is sad because how I interpret that text message exchange is that the children were being normal. Yes. Lori was having a moment of being normal with the kids, but she's being distracted by this fucking weirdo child, mm-hmm. Chad. And um, oh, you mean they're not zero seriously? Two and three mm-hmm. percent? Okay, I'll be on my guard, you know. So who do you hold Okay, who do you hold more at fault? Mm-hmm. Chad for his active manipulations or Lori for allowing herself to get pulled into this obvious bullshit.
1: I think it would depend a lot on how... how much um, Chad really believed what he was saying. Like, since, the of course, the trial is for... Uh, What's her name? And, um, Lori. 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 Um, I mean, other than what has been uh, shown from like his text messages and stuff like that, I can't really tell like if he really, really believed this. But if he didn't believe on it, then of course on him because he pr- pretty much manipulated her, manipulated her.
0: I don't know. It just... Here's why I don't think he believed it. Okay. So when you speak to somebody that actually has authority on a mm-hmm. subject, say another lawyer, mm-hmm. and you ask them questions, like there's moments of clarity where obviously they know what they're talking about. Mm-hmm. And when there's not, when there's a roadblock, they'll say, oh, I don't know. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to have to get the answer. Mm-hmm. But he seems like he just makes it up on the fly. Yes. There's yes. never an instance where he doesn't know the answer. Mm-hmm. He's playing this role as if he has <laughs> this divine connection to the mm-hmm. supernatural that's feeding him with these answers, which is why he knows that he's full of shit. Mm-hmm. And he's playing it off, and Lori is the only dumbass that ever believed him to this degree. I wonder if, I wonder if Tammy put up with this kind of stuff. I wonder mm-hmm. if he tried to get it's her no into question. it. It's like, you know what, Chad? Could could you just no. do that over there, please? <laughs> Enough with the whole hiplos thing. Yeah. But Lori is um, she she bought into it. So okay, uh, after they talk about, it, they need to release a little bit of steam. Mm-hmm. Um, on August 7th of 2019, this would have been about a week later, Lori texts Chad, I love you talking... Oh, I love you... I... Oh. I love you taking Braxy home now. I'll check on her. She's asleep. She put a bunch of holes in the walls and doors. Definitely had demons helping her. Probably a thousand. Mm-hmm. Mel wants us to come up there now, but I said next Thursday to Sunday, what do you think? We are both so tired of taking care of demons. We are weary... Please ask the Lord to take them. We just had a big fight. Probably no go on next week. Two sad emojis. Chad says, my heart is crushed, but I will never stop loving you. Missing you, heading to the girl's funeral. Emma was her teacher and is one of the speakers. This is very difficult, but I will abide your request to not talk. I hate causing you pain because I love you more than ever. He's just such a total (laughs) dipshit, man. (laughs) Yep. This guy...
1: It's sad because from what she's saying, it seems like she was just overwhelmed with the children and she just wanted to have a showless life and wanted to get rid of them.
0: Like, you know, they were like um, an
1: inconvenience to her.
0: It's sad because I joke all the time. Like, even before we came yeah. on the show, like, uh, nobody wants to watch my demon-ass kids. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's like, go on a vacation when? Who's going to take them for more than a day or two? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my kids are not demons. They're just th- a three and a four-year-old. They, uh, they... They're, they're crazy. Tutlers. They're hard. They're <laughs> a lot to watch. They're but think and, and her children were not three and four. No. I'm talking about 17
2: mm-hmm.
0: and 7.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And JJ was not, I mean, he he was special needs and all, but I mean, they're not babies.
2: No.
0: So she was just inconvenienced at whatever. Mm-hmm. I don't know, man. It's it's just it's it's sad. I feel like based on watching the Netflix documentary. Mm -hmm. And hearing her eldest son describe what it was like growing up with her, Mm -hmm. that she was once a normal good mom that put her children first. And she was a drama queen for sure. And she got away with a lot of stuff and she manipulated a lot of people. But then she runs into this guy and then it just totally warped her mind. Mm -hmm. And where she signed off on murdering her children Mm -hmm. and her ex-husband and Tammy Daybell. And then was perfectly fine with putting the blame on her brother, Alex. Yeah. Remember that whole thing? Yes. Remember when, when Alex was like, you know what? They're totally setting me up to be the fall guy. And yeah. the next day, less than 24 mm-hmm. hours later, he was dead. Yep. Gone. And then um, obviously it was her because there was also the text message. And it came out in closing arguments today that the prosecution pointed out, remember when they had the whole paintball incident? Yes. And then Tammy was like, hey. Weirdest thing happened. I was taking out the groceries and someone shot a, a paintball gun at mm-hmm. me. What? That was crazy. And then um, there's text messages from Lori where uh, that freaking guy can't do yeah, anything right or friend. something mm-hmm. like that. She's obviously talking about Alex. Mm-hmm. And, uh, well, then 10 days later, then she she was dead. Or he was he dead. Was dead. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, okay. So going back, August 9th. Uh, Lori texts Chad. uh, Can you check Nathan Pacheco? See what the level he is. Is he light? Also, Mike Stroud, Mel G, thinks he went dark, but I think he's light. Chad says, I'll check those two. Any guess on Pacheco? Lori says, just tell me. Chad says, 4.1 dark. Lori, nope, I get 5.1 light, part of our team. And then Chad says, we'll go with your answer. Why? What's wrong with your picker? (laughs) What about Mike Stroud? Seriously? He's done a great infiltration job. You know what I think is going on there? I think that Chad got jealous that she wanted, that Lori wanted to call one of those guys light.
1: Yeah, the Pacheco one.
0: Pacheco or Stroud. Yeah, well, anyway, Lori liked him because he was being nice to her. Mm-hmm. And then Chad got a little jealous and said, no, no, he's not light, he's dark. We'll talk That's about crazy. it later. Come over, we'll talk about it. Let off some steam. Freaking idiot.
1: I mean, I'm curious, like, what? how exactly, what's the matter for determining what percentage of light or darkness. Oh, I pulled it out of his ass.
0: That's what he did. Yes. That's, that's how they did.
1: Exactly, because one is saying five and the other one is saying four. Like, how did She didn't say that?
0: four. She said 4.1.
1: 4.1. Oh, okay.
0: <laughs> Chad like, says, no, 4.1 dark. And, and Laura's like, no, I get 5.1 light. He's part okay. of our team. And then Chad got really pissed. <laughs> he's done a great infiltration oh, no. job. He's tricking you. <laughs> he's facing what he's saying. So the next day, uh, Lori, (coughs) Lori to uh, Chad, um, please check JJ. He just woke up. He's saying crazy stuff and won't go back to sleep. He's talking to Blake. It's weird. Chad says, JJ is still JJ. I am told his spirit recognized Blake is evil and is unsettled by him. They're talking about a seven-year-old. Yes. Right. Chad says, I, my love, how is JJ now? it's weirdly phrased Mm -hmm. Laurie says he's better he was just up talking nonsense for like two hours last night I'm sure they were bugging him is he at zero now I miss you Chad says yes he's at zero he's probably he probably was partly through the veil talking to people both light and dark this is like a daily thing where (laughs) they're um, playing with this make believe superpowers that they have
1: it's just (laughs) so bizarre like.
0: So there's this a moment of clarity that Lori has. She says, do you think there is a perfectly orchestrated plan to take the children and we just have to wait for it to be carried out? I feel lost. I feel like we should be doing something to help. Chad says, there is a plan being orchestrated for the children. I was shown last night how it together, but it has been taken from my mind, of course. Mm-hmm. Lori says, what should I be doing? Chad says, you were doing everything right, my love. The Lord told me she was right on track. He said to just keep resolving the telestial issues so you are unencumbered and fully free. So telestial is a specifically Mormon religious phrase mm-hmm. uh, that means of or pertaining to the lowest degree of glory. Ask me what that means? I don't fucking know. have <laughs> no idea what that means. Mm-hmm. Glory of what? The lowest glory of what? I don't know. But celestial is uh, specifically um, a, well, I don't know if it's exclusive to Mormon. It's just a, it's a religious term. Yeah. Um, the celestial kingdom is the lowest of the three degrees of glory. It is believed by the Latter-day Saints Church members to correspond to the glory of the stars mentioned by the Apostle Paul in the King James Version translation of 1 Corinthians 1541. So it's in the Catholic Christian mm-hmm. Bible and the Mormons have adopted it as a term meaning something completely different uh, <clears throat> September 3rd Alex says to Lori oh this is a, this is not Alex and Chad so October 5th um, the jury was shown a video of Tylee kissing JJ at Yellowstone National Park on September 8th of 2019 that was the last known video of Tylee live Another video was shown to the jury dated September 22nd. That's the last known video of J.J. being alive. Hart testified that on September 24th, uh, Lori told J.J.'s babysitter, Sydney uh, that J.J.'s grandparents took him and there was no evidence to substantiate that claim. So the children are already gone at yeah. this point. They're focusing now on uh, Tammy. So October 5th, Chad texts Lori, Hello, sweet angel. Big news about Tammy. Please let me know if you are awake and can talk. I love you. Heart emoji and lips emoji. What's a lips emoji?
1: Like a kiss, I guess?
0: Probably, right? Obviously, duh. Um, So Chad to Lori, the short version is that she has been switched. Switched means possessed. Mm -hmm. Tammy is in limbo and level three demonic entity named Viola is in her body. It happened at about 10 p.m. and was done by Tammy's sister, Uh, Which was redacted. I always knew was 3D, three-dimensional demon, I guess. But it turns out she is multiple creation. Chad's Lori. Not fully sure of the timing for removal, but once her actions verify the differences, I don't want to wait. So I assume he's talking about her death. Yeah. He's saying she's been switched, she's Mm -hmm. irredeemable, and she's got multiple demons, and one of them is named Viola. And it happened at exactly around 10 a.m. or 10 p.m.
1: 10 p.m., yeah.
0: Which is, I, I wonder. I just I, I wonder where they're. I mean, obviously, I feel like he's pulling it out of his ass, but mm-hmm. I, it, it just makes me wonder what he's using to as his backstory, like to verify it to third parties. Like, is is he? I, I don't know. I don't mm-hmm. know. I, I'm just wondering where he's coming up with the stuff. So it's probably October? lots of
1: reading. And just, I mean, I've seen people do that. Like they, they just read a lot. And then they just mix all they have read into their own little story. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, that's probably, well, definitely. Um, first of all, okay, just take away from Chad Daybell. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> he's of severe average intelligence.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: I'm basing that off of his writing. Mm-hmm. So you have this average guy with average intelligence that is writing these stories that he's probably... uh, taking straight out of other religious texts and then morphing them into this incoherent, like you just said, Mm -hmm. jumble of religious jargon. And he somehow was able to manipulate Laurie, who is probably also of average intelligence. Mm -hmm. Um, I just cannot imagine anybody that I know falling prey to something like that, unless they were mentally ill. Mhm. or predisposed yeah. to something like that. Like if you try to like my daughter is 17.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Somebody try to come over her over over there with uh, this level 3 demon stuff, she would uh, laugh him out of the room. I I would hope. I would hope. Yeah. But like um if I try to pull this stuff on my wife and like try to trick her like I'm some kind of a prophet, um <laughs> there's no chance no, in hell yeah. That would have worked out at all Like ever yeah. There's no chance If your husband tried to do that with you You'd probably think he was a freaking weirdo
1: Yeah, um, exactly
0: I, just, I, don't, I don't know
1: But I, I, I mean <coughs> I do understand that there's people That do fall for those things Yeah, there are There are I guess she was just one of them I mean She had some sort of issues That were not resolved And somehow she just I don't know believe that type of thing.
0: Well, she was... um, It's hard to say that she was a narcissist Mm
2: -hmm.
0: because so much of her attention is outward focused. Mm -hmm. Like she sincerely worshipped this guy Mm Chad for whatever reason, became fixated on him. Clearly, that's not what narcissists do. Mm -hmm. But she clearly had these uh, extreme ideas of grandeur Mm -hmm. where, you know these big grand religious thoughts and ideologies that she really wanted to be true. Like Mm -hmm. she truly believes that she is some blessed chosen angel here to enlighten the world and Mm -hmm. her and Chad are going to, um, in the next realm um, absent this uh, trial post this life Mm -hmm. uh, become some fixture of uh, heaven. Mm -hmm. She genuinely believes that I have no doubts about that.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: Even going back to today, when her, when her defense attorney is trying to craft some kind of closing argument to support the claim that she is not guilty of the crimes, gives her the one out that she might have, which is she was tricked by this guy, Chad, and she is genuinely offended when he makes fun of his appearance. Who's going to have sex with this guy, Chad? Bullshit to that. <laughs> and she gets all pissed off. <coughs> so there's, there is clearly... It, there, there is clearly an admiration, and adoration there. She's still mentally mixed up with this guy. But I'll tell you what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. For Chad's trial, he is 100% throwing her under the bus. Oh, yeah. There is no yes. chance yes. he's going to offer her the same level of devotion. He is so out on Lori yes. Daybell. There is no chance. Mm-hmm. Which, I mean, I don't know what kind of sympathies that's going to garner any of them, but... That's the, just the reality of it.
1: Only thing that I can think of is that she had some sort of trauma, maybe childhood trauma about, I don't know, maybe being God worthy or something like that. And this guy was pretty much giving her dad and that made her feel good and made her believe him. I don't know. People, I mean, trauma can take you to do some crazy things and
0: well yeah there's probably something to that uh, the tra- the trauma angle of it yeah. which I don't I don't know the first thing about her childhood or yeah. how she grew up um, even on the Netflix special documentary like it starts with her being mm. um in beauty pageants yes, or whatever so she was a contestant on uh, Wheel of Fortune and they talk about her I husband remember. prior to Charles and she was she really liked being the victim and she was mm-hmm. able to uh, get a feel for how she could manipulate people with the victim mentality. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. But continuing on with these text messages, we're, we're first talking. Oh, Tammy has been switched. Mm-hmm. So, October 19th, which is the night that Tammy died. Mm-hmm. An unknown person texts, Lori, I'm not sure if you heard, but Chad's wife died last night. Lori says, oh my gosh, I did not hear that. I'm in Hawaii and it's 6 a.m. Do you know what happened? Yeah, she awoke in the night, coughing, threw up, collapsed and passed away. Lori says, not fun without you. Can you call me? I don't know who she sent that text message to, but that's a bizarre, Mm
2: -hmm. I
0: don't know. I, I don't get that text. Lori to Chad, how are you doing is the question. Chad to Lori, I'm hanging in there. My parents are staying here and we are still getting visitors, but I'll call you soon. So October 23rd, Lori to Chad, I had a bad dream about Al. Make sure he is still with him and protect him. I don't know who they're talking about.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, he would be the one they used to get us both. All this alone time is not good for him. Chad to Lori, I'll try to reach out to him later today. I just cleaned all of Al's weapons, curses. Oh, that's her brother. Okay, Curses and cords and filled him with... Malachite healing balm. I also put angels around him. Okay. All right, Master Splinter. Um, Lori made another, she made a note, Alex Cox, multiple creation, fourth creation. So she made a note in her iCloud personal notes. Okay. And she says, Alex Cox, multiple creation, fourth creation, exalted nine times, sibling to me, two times on fourth creation. Rose is exalted three times, married three times on fourth creation and became eternal companions after fourth creation. His mission is to help Lori. Oh my God. I need a, like a code breaker to come and to <laughs> cipher this bullshit. Yes. Like, what are we talking about? Oh uh, fourth goodness. creation. Okay. So about a month later on November 16th, Lori texts Melanie Gibb. Uh, Will you do this job if your whole family turns against you? This is what the Lord has asked of us. Melanie is that one, remember, where she asked Melanie to lie and say yes, that- the friend. She saw the children yes. and they were safe. Well, this mm-hmm. is Melanie's friend. So she texts her, will you do this job if your whole family turns against you? This is what the Lord has asked of us. So Hart then testifies about patriarchal blessings in the Latter-day Saints faith, which are given to faithful members at one point in their lives to provide mm-hmm. spiritual guidance. Um, he said that the one person called to be the patriarch administers the blessing and that Chad was not authorized to give one. Hart said that Chad delivered a blessing to Alex Cox, who's not authorized by the church to do such a thing. So Hart testified that he had found no digital evidence that Lori searched for a divorce attorney. He also said that from November 2019 to June 20. Uh, While he was overseeing the missing persons investigation and search for Tylee and J.J., there was no evidence that the children were alive or that Lori was looking for them after September. They then uh, played uh, a video where she was subpoenaed Mm -hmm. um, with the criminal. Uh, She was subpoenaed with something around the time that the children would have went missing. And Mm -hmm. she's sitting there like near the pool, um, just lounging around with Chad right next to her. And like the the FBI goes up and gives her some papers, mm-hmm. and they're like, "Yeah, yeah, whatever." She wasn't upset, or mm-hmm. like, "What's this about?" But it was about her children. She had failed to produce her children when yeah. asked, and so then she gets the subpoena. Um, I imagine that they were going into that.
1: What stands out to me is that how much they were mentioning like the children and the levels of light darkness, and then all of a sudden they don't mention them. Like, yeah. It's like, I guess they're not.
0: They stop Exactly.
1: All of a sudden they're not a concern. And if they're not a concern, why? <laughs> like, I guess they're dead.
0: That's a great point. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. I mean, they're, you know, constantly talking about the children and mm-hmm. then, you know, light and dark and then the mm-hmm. whole conversation stops. There's no plan about keeping them safe. There's mm-hmm. no, we're going to stash them in uh, Wyoming to hide them from demons or Blake or whoever that guy was. and. Um,
1: Or her.
0: Yeah, nothing like that. There's nothing like that because they're just gone. Um, Yeah, it was... um, To say the least, it was was bizarre the way they conducted themselves. Mm -hmm. Specifically in October. And then they just Mm -hmm. disappeared to Hawaii. Yeah. And they're going on this vacation and they're taking those stupid married photos that we talked about Mm -hmm. and made fun of last week. And, Mm -hmm. you know, he's... uh, Oh infamous pictures so aside from those text messages those were demonstrating just the bizarre Mm
2: -hmm.
0: uh, religious beliefs that they had there were other text messages where they were talking where they were sexting back and forth Mm. and they read those texts
2: Mm -hmm. uh, back and
0: forth
1: i don't want to hear those no you don't (laughs) have to hear those
0: but they just had this weird peculiar Relationship. I can At only any rate, imagine. <laughs> no. Oh, you saw how Corny, he's like yeah. writing her religious poems and stuff. <laughs> and then they were reading these, these sexts in court, um, uh, in front of the jury and everybody's like cringing. Oh God. Oh, it was so bad. Like I'm reading one right now. I'm just, I'm just not, Mm-mm. I'm just not, I'm not doing it. I'm not going to do it, but they're really bad. At any rate. Yeah. So <clears throat> closing arguments today. The prosecution focuses on these text messages. Mm -hmm. Remember what they had to plant, what they had to prove. They had to prove that there was a common scheme Mm -hmm. that Lori acted in furtherance of the scheme and directed people to carry out the scheme that led to the deaths of Tylee and JJ. Mm -hmm. Also, Tammy and Charles. Charles is going to be a separate trial. Tammy's going to be a separate trial, but these are specifically for the children. They showed autopsy photos of the remains of Mm -hmm. Tylee and JJ. They believe... Um, that little JJ, the seven-year-old, mm-hmm. was probably suffocated with okay. a plastic bag. Um, they don't know how Tylie died, but her body was hacked up and burned as if they were trying to dismember it. Um, and they showed those photos to the jury to remind them that this is why mm-hmm. they're here. There were the text messages that indicated that you know Alex screwed up the, the killing. Mm-hmm. Um and the prosecution focused on that. And the best that the defense team could come up with was the fact that show me one text message where they knew, where Lori knew that her children were dead. Show me one text message (laughs) where she knew that they weren't alive. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's all. That's it. It's
1: all (laughs) circumstantial. So right now the
0: case is to the jury.
1: Okay. Deliberating.
0: I would say that they, I I was guessing they were going to come back with a verdict today. But- Apparently not. It's already five thirty-four. Yeah. Um is Idaho on Pacific time or no?
1: I don't think so. Idaho. I think it's central. Either central. Or- no, they're on
0: Mountain Standard Time. Oh mountain. Mountain Daylight Time. It's six thirty-five over there right now. Okay. It's five thirty-four so where we're at. Yeah. So they're now ahead. It's already yeah, it's already six thirty. I doubt the jury comes back with the verdict, mm-hmm. but you never know. Last time when we were doing Um, That one case that came back with the Murdoch trial in North Carolina. Yeah. They stayed extra late. They may. um, But just uh, gauging it, it doesn't look like uh, that's happening right now. I'm going to the live feed with Law and Crime. Um,
1: No, that Murdoch one, the jury just wanted out. (laughs) They were done with it.
0: You know what? It looks like the jury went home for the day. Yeah. They deliberated for about three hours, 54 minutes, and they are done. So no verdict for today, maybe tomorrow. Maybe. Maybe, Uh, what do you think are the chances that they come back with a not guilty on account of, oh yeah, there wasn't a text where she knew that they were dead?
1: I doubt it. I mean, like, there's just so much, I mean, you don't need like an actual um, confession just to realize that she knew that her children were not alive, not looking for them, like, that I don't
0: know well here's what might have okay if I'm a juror if I'm gonna believe yeah. that Lori didn't have a role to play because mm-hmm. the, the the evidence that stands out the most in my mind is the text messages mm-hmm. about Alex about how he screwed things up
2: yeah
0: and obviously these text messages where they're talking about so cavalierly about people that are mm-hmm. just deceased the fact that you had mentioned just now um, about how daily she was texting about her children and then all of a sudden mm-hmm. children are no longer mentioned Mm -hmm. ever except to other people she's trying to convince that they're still alive Um, that stands out and then there was also other evidence that was presented from Chad's perspective where after the fact he spoke about Tylee one of the witnesses Mm -hmm. from the family came out and said that Chad was just like whatever with the children and he was speaking about Tylee in the past tense Mm, yeah Saying that she didn't like people and she didn't like me, and um, which was really telling because mm-hmm. she probably didn't like his pudgy marshmallowy ass, yeah. his weird ass uh, religious <laughs> recitations, trying to convince yeah. the children that they were demons and whatnot. Imagine what how he must have been with a sixteen-year-old, and you know, yeah. there's this weird freaking guy coming over there around their mom, and I'd imagine she didn't like him. I yeah. mean, you know, it's, it's it's always a weird relationship. Step parent mm-hmm. relationship, especially right. when you're being introduced to an older child that you know they're not babies and so they've already yeah. fully formed their opinions, yeah, they're going to look at you a little more critically. Mm-hmm. And then who's this weird guy? And so, but he spoke about her negatively, he probably didn't like Tylee, the fact mm-hmm. that she was maybe an impediment to his getting in good with uh Lori, yeah, and JJ was probably just a pain in the ass, yeah, I
1: mean,
2: so
0: therefore, a demon. Old- Exactly. And, uh, well, his trial may or may not happen. But my prediction is that <clears throat> he's going to take a deal
2: mm-hmm.
0: where he's going to get life in prison without possibility of parole, no death penalty, no mm-hmm. nothing like that. But as part of his agreement, he must recant certain testimony, testimony. Mm-hmm. That supports Lori, meaning he has to mm-hmm. testify against mm-hmm. Lori.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: He's going be like, yeah, I'll do that. I'm doing that for sure.
1: Yeah, I can see him doing that. He's a Chad. He's- <laughs> I'm sorry for the people that have that name, but <laughs> he's a Chad.
0: He's a Chad. Yeah. I don't know, but he's, um, he's something for sure. Uh, he's got such a, he's got a face that he's, he's got one of those faces that you just want to punch him in the face. Especially knowing all of the stuff, like even as Lori's eldest son Mm -hmm. said, I saw him in the courtroom and I wanted to beat his face in with a shovel, Mm
2: -hmm.
0: (laughs) which I thought was reasonable given given the circumstances. At any rate, so Lori Vallow, that's the the that's where we stand right now. Mm -hmm. Jury has gone home for the day. Maybe a verdict tomorrow. I suspect it's going to be a guilty. Mm -hmm. It makes me a little nervous.
1: This is not so clear, but yeah.
0: That they went home after four hours of deliberation because mm-hmm. it means that they're hung up. Somebody's hung up on some yeah. kind of specific issue. They're probably 10 to 2 or 11 to 1 right now and somebody's trying to do the, uh, they're, they're holding out mm-hmm. as the, the last bastion of hope for Lori, but um, we'll see what happens tomorrow. Uh, the other trial that we were following with oh, yeah. uh, Letitia Stouch. The one that had the buried dick like, already. Yeah, so she was, um, she had, I just wanted to play the uh, the verdict, not the verdict, mm-hmm. I wanted to play the uh, judge's sentencing statement, because he kind of said what a lot of people were thinking, so mind okay. you, in this case, I don't know if we talked about it when we did her show, but she was literally flipping off people, flipping off witnesses, yes. Yes, And the judge at one point threatened to, um, if you do that one more time, I'm going to take your hands Mm -hmm. and bolt them to underneath the table and nobody's going to know it except for you. And it's going to be really uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And if I have to treat you like you're a 12 year old, I definitely will. So he was very patient Mm -hmm. and very uh, respectful of the defense team the entire time. Leticia, with all of her uh, antics, was carrying on. Um, trying to stare down witnesses and do mm-hmm. different things, but she was found guilty pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. There wasn't there wasn't a whole lot there. Okay. And if you recall her case, she was the one, the stepmom that murdered mm-hmm. that thirteen year old boy when he was in yeah. his bed, and she stabbed him like twenty one times, mm-hmm. um, caved his face in with a shovel, um, and shot him a couple of times with a twenty two caliber uh, rifle, mm-hmm. and then tried to hide his body under the 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 underpass mm-hmm. of the freeway near um, well in Florida. Um, <clears throat> there was, uh, some heartbreaking, um, testimony in that case, mm-hmm. but specifically, I just wanted to, for closure purposes, uh, play some of the audio from the judge. Cause he summed it up just pretty beautifully. Okay. Now, rem- remember her defense tried to play off this idea that maybe she had multiple personalities. Mm-hmm. She was clearly, maybe she didn't know that, um, she murdered this boy, and um, but she clearly did. I mean, mm-hmm. all of the evidence, her trying to hide it, her trying to redirect people away from mm-hmm. the uh, relevant evidence in the case all played into this idea that, no, she knew what she was doing. Mm-hmm. And so let's hear some of what the judge had to say. I'm going to bring it up here on the screen so everybody can see it. And this is taken from the law and crime feed. Uh, but let's let's take a listen to uh, the judge here. <laughs> there
3: we go. And that would be enough to make you really angry. A parent's worst nightmare is getting a phone call letting them know that something has happened to their child. How much worse must that nightmare be when law enforcement asks not for a picture of your loved one, but rather DNA and dental records? I've also heard it said that one of the worst tragedies a parent can experience is to outlive a child. I have known people both professionally and personally who have gone through that. It never leaves them, but the sharpness of the pain does diminish to some extent over time. I cannot fathom the pain Mr. Stouck and Ms. Bullard have experienced as a result of the defendant's actions. A sentence in a criminal case such as this will not change the fact that their son's life was taken from them. And no sentence I impose and nothing I say will ever change that fact. Ms. Stouck, you betrayed the person you loved enough to marry. You told your husband lies and took away someone he loved. You took away every day that Mr. Stouck or Ms. Bullard could have had with their son. When you take a life, regardless of how you do that, you forever alter the future. Neither Mr. Stouck nor Ms. Bullard will ever see their son graduate from high school, go through the joy, and the pain of that first love, or get married. They will never know what kind of impact their son may have had on the world if only he had lived to become an adult. And had Gannon's body not been found, they never would have known what happened to Gannon. They would always have had a lingering doubt about what happened to Gannon and I cannot imagine the pain and sense of loss associated with that. You betrayed your daughter, Harley Hunt. I cannot imagine the emotional impact that you have had on her due to your selfish and calculated actions. This is a young woman that trusted you to put her interests above yours. This is a young woman who believed in you and believed you were innocent of this crime right up until the time that you pled not guilty by reason of insanity and she still loves you. That's natural for a child and it doesn't matter how much older they get. You were supposed to protect her. I cannot imagine the guilt she feels or the therapy that she will need to address your betrayal. There is no evidence that she had anything to do with the murder or your cover-up of it, but some people still think that she is somehow involved. She wasn't. The incredible strength of will and courage that it took for her to come in and testify is amazing to me. But she did it because, as she said, it was the right thing to do. And While, thankfully, she didn't testify, let's not forget about Lena. You betrayed her too. You took her brother from her and forever altered her family dynamics. She will always wonder who she can trust and will always feel that loss. She was there the day you killed Gannon. His body was still in the house when she got back from school. At some point, you even claimed This eight-year-old girl helped you move her brother's body from the basement to the back of your car. That's just simply not true. As she gets older, Lena is going to want to know more, and she's going to want to know if there was something that she could have done to prevent this. I hope she comes to realize that she has no fault in all of this. You betrayed your stepson, and you took his life. You took away everything he was and everything he could ever become. I can't imagine the terror and confusion that he must have felt in the last moments of his life when he knew his life was being taken by someone he trusted to protect it. Your attempt to raise the claim that you did this because of your adverse childhood is also a betrayal of people that have mental health issues. It is no secret that there is a large part of our population that has mental health issues. It's also no secret that our country and our health system could do a much better job addressing mental health issues than it does. However, the number of people with mental health issues who become violent is small. And the number who become murderers is smaller still your claim that a mental health issue caused the murder in this case is a disservice to all those who struggle with mental health issues every day this isn't the first case i have presided over in which sanity or a mental condition of the defendant has been raised as a defense i have had cases where the defendant's mental condition caused the defendant to act out in a certain fashion but even in those cases I have never seen conduct like this. I understand the claim of dissociative identity disorder. I have seen something resembling that and I have seen defendants with schizophrenic disorders. I can understand those. What I have seen is that the mental condition causes the person to act a certain way and when they realize what they did, they are astonished by what happened or they have no memory of what happened. Your claim is that it was another personality that murdered Gannon, but there is no time during the minutes, hours, and days following the murder where Leticia came out and wondered, gee, why am I carrying a body around in my luggage? That just isn't credible. You knew what you were doing. You made a number of clear and conscious decisions to cover or disguise what you had done. Claiming a lack of motive is a common defense tactic, and it can be a sound strategy. The truth is, however, that it only takes a moment to make a bad decision that results in disastrous consequences. And oftentimes, we never know why a defendant chose a particular course of action. However, that does not mean that they did not intend to undertake a course of action. Sometimes, as in this case, the likely explanation is anger. An 11-year-old boy with burns who feels that he's not being taken care of. An 11-year-old boy on the verge of being a teenager. Those of us who have lived through people or kids uh, that were teenagers, we know how that is. It is not hard to imagine Gannon saying something, you're not my mom. I want my mom. I want my dad. And that would be enough to make you really angry. But anger is not an excuse. A defendant is responsible for the choices they made and the actions they undertook, even though those choices arose out of or were motivated by anger. It's clear that you hated and were jealous of Landon Bullard. You saw yourself as a better mother than she was. It's clear from the evidence that you had some resentment from being left with Mr. Stouck's children. It's clear you had some resentment toward Mr. Stouck because he traveled as part of his job. Some of that manifested as early as Al's assignment in Alaska when you made allegations against the people in his unit. That caused Al to have to return from Alaska. And in one of the phone calls that were played for the jury, you talked about having to take care of his kids while he was away and what a good mother, uh, what a good mother you were. It's clear you felt trapped. You wanted out. You were searching for a new job and a new location in Florida. Mr. Stauk had been gone on his, assi- on his new assignment for less than two days when the fire in the basement occurred. I can imagine that you saw your whole future consisting of taking care of Mr. Stouck's children while he was off doing his thing, and that's not the future that you wanted. I can imagine Gannon, at some point after he sustained his burns, telling you you wanted his real mom and how that comment would have made you angry. You took your frustration and anger for the marriage, the childcare, the absence of Al, and even living in Colorado. You took all of that out on Gannon. The evidence suggests you first stabbed Gannon repeatedly, 18 times. Based on the number of defensive wounds, he was clearly conscious for some of that. He was certainly gravely wounded. And chillingly, it would also explain how you were able to mimic the sound of Gannon breathing in one of your sessions with Dr. Lewis. Those were probably close to his last breaths. He was dying but not dead. The evidence could also lead one to conclude that he either fell or rolled off the bed where you shot him in the head and then beat him with the butt of a gun or a baseball bat. That would explain the blood found at different levels on the walls in Gannon's bedroom. I'm also reminded of the look you had on your face when you slipped your handcuffs while being transported back to Colorado and attacked Deputy James. I shudder to think that that was probably the last thing that Gannon saw before he died. You have shown no remorse throughout this process. Instead, you've made a choice to build a web of lies. When you gave an interview to Detective Jessica Bethel on January 29th of 2020, you told her, you lied to her about Gannon running away, and that he was actually taken by a guy named Eduardo. When you explained that to Detective Bethel, you said you needed to lie because you didn't want to face the consequences. You told her that you were trying to come up with a plan about what you should do. And finally, you told her you really thought you could fix this. I think that's true. You lied because you didn't want to face the consequences. You needed to come up with a plan to fix this. And that plan involved covering up what you had done. It involved lie upon lie. But you slipped up at various points and let kernels of truth escape. In one conversation with Mr. Stouck, you told him the FBI needed to close the borders of Colorado. and needed to close I-95. I-95 doesn't go through Colorado. It's an interstate that runs along the entire eastern seaboard. It's also not far from where you dumped Gannon's body. When questioned by Detective Bethel, you told her that Mr. Stauk might also make up some kind of story about you coming at him with a knife. He said you would never use a knife like that. Yet Gannon was stabbed 18 times. Your actions in this case also show a very conscious attempt to avoid responsibility in this case. You started out with a story that Gannon had run away. You gave some hints that it might be related to bath salts or drug use by Gannon. You stayed with that story until you were called into uh, EPSO for an interview. You knew they weren't going to buy the story that Gannon ran away. Then you came up with the abduction. And you stayed with some iteration of that for a long time. But all of those versions had one thing in common. You were always the victim. In one, you're beaten and raped and Gannon was abducted. In one, someone stole Gannon out of a truck in the parking lot. In another, you let Gannon, uh, someone drive Gannon to a hospital to take care of a head injury that he had after falling off a bike. In all of them, you could claim it wasn't your fault. You were just in the wrong place at the wrong time. Then, you got arrested. You stuck to the story that it was someone else that took Gannon. During the hours that you spoke with Special Agent Grusing, he told you he thought sometimes good people do bad things and sometimes it's an accident. Then they found Gannon's body. Then you saw the mountain of evidence against you. And this is a mountain the size of Everest. What was your position after that? Well, it was an accident. And you, Letitia, didn't even do it. It was Maria Sanchez. You carefully crafted your new story to continue to avoid responsibility. It also allowed you to take advantage of the out that Mr. Grusing and Mr. Stout suggested much, much earlier when they asked you if this was an accident. Now it was an accident. Your Maria Sanchez personality shot Gannon by mistake because she thought he was an intruder in a cape. Multiple personalities is not credible in this setting, as regardless of how many personalities you have, you only have one body. I have presided over cases where a mental disease or defect prevented a defendant from remembering the course of events, including the commission of the crime. Without exception, those defendants have been terrified when contacted by law enforcement because there was a period of time in their lives that they could not account for. Their body may have sustained an injury and they don't know how it happened. They may have some new object in their house or on their person and they have no idea where they got it from. We all have free will and we all make choices based on that free will. The people who suffer from the mental disorder you claim are terrified because their free will has been taken from them and they are subject, being subjected to things and experiences they don't understand and don't have any recollection of. You didn't behave anything like that. One of the purposes is to impose an appropriate sentence for the criminal conduct that occurred. Another purpose is to punish an offender by imposing a sentence that takes into account the seriousness of the offense. Yet another purpose of sentencing is to prevent crime and promote respect for the law by providing an effective, an effective deterrent to others likely to commit a similar offense. Anyone who's been in my courtroom before knows that I've said sentencings are the most difficult thing that I do. That's especially true in cases where someone has lost his or her life. Nothing I or the law can, ever, can do will ever bring that person back. I have handled hundreds, if not thousands, of criminal cases over the years. I think at this point in my career I've presided over something like 200 jury trials. I've sentenced hundreds more defendants pursuant to plea agreements. This is not the first murder case that has come before me. This is not the first case I've presided over which involves harm to a child. This is not the first case I've had where a person who was in an unhappy marriage committed a crime. Sadly, statistically, there is a high correlation between violent acts, including uh, murders, and family members. I have had a number of cases which have demonstrated one person's capacity for cruelty toward another human being. I can, however, say without hesitation that the facts in this case are the most horrific I have ever seen. Your conduct in this case deserves the maximum punishment that I can impose under Colorado law. As such, with respect to the charge of first degree murder after deliberation, I remand you to the custody of the Colorado Department of Corrections for the remainder of your life with no possibility of parole. With respect to the charge of murder in the first degree of a child under 12 by a person in position of trust, I remand you to the custody of the Colorado Department of Corrections for the remainder of your life with no possibility of parole. Those two sentences will merge. If you have questions about that, you can ask your attorneys. With respect to the charge of tampering with the deceased human body, I'm also going to sentence you to 12 years followed by a three-year period of parole. That sentence is to be consecutive to the life sentences that I've already imposed. With respect to tampering with physical evidence, I'm going to impose an 18-month sentence. That sentence is also consecutive uh, to, the murder char- to the sentences for the murder charges that I have imposed. I also understand with the consent of the prosecution, and I'm assuming no objection from the defense, that I will dismiss all the charges in twenty CR three one seven zero. Close that out, subject to restitution. Give the people uh, forty nine days for restitution, fourteen days for response. And if there's an issue, we will set it within the ninety days. Uh, within ninety days from, I think that resolves all outstanding matters.
0: I'm not sure what those other charges were, yeah. um, but it involves restitution. So the D is going to have an opportunity to put on uh, restitution evidence. You know what's interesting about.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: That case, last time we did this episode with uh, Letitia Stouch, I kind of empathized with their defense counsel because I told you that that was the worst opening statement Mm -hmm. I'd ever heard. And because he was basically apologizing for how shitty of a case he had and he looked like he didn't (laughs) want to be there and you're going to hear some things and yeah, my client did it, Mm -hmm. but she has rights. And so we're here. Mm
3: There's the tenor
0: of his opening statement. And I had mentioned, worst I'd ever heard. Um, The judge actually, um, not the judge. I I heard him give an interview, and on that interview, the interviewee or interviewer had commended him on doing a good job, which, I mean, he did a reasonable job. I don't know if it was Mm -hmm. a good job. I mean, how how good of a job could he have done under the circumstances? Mm -hmm. But... I had a lot of empathy because that was like a case that somebody slaps on your desk. You have no choice. You work for the public defender. You're gonna have to tell you're the guy that's gonna mm-hmm. be taking it. But um he gets up there and he says that he was disappointed in the verdict, and then I lost all respect. I didn't lose the respect. <laughs> I just I just I was like, fuck that guy. You
1: know? Oh my god. Something that uh oh. I didn't know I guess we that had not happened when we last spoke about this case is that Her daughter testified against her? Yeah. I
0: didn't know that. Because her daughter initially, during the time where they're trying to figure out where Gannon was, Mm -hmm. um, was making statements with her mom in support of her mom, Mm -hmm. because she didn't know what she believed, what her mom said. And then she later came to find out the truth. And so she had to go in there and testify against her mom. Wow. And uh, the same thing with her brother. Uh, There was other family members Mm -hmm. that came in and testified and... um, it was really sad, yeah, it was really sad, like her brother came in there and like started crying because how could a sister do such a thing? Mm-hmm. Nobody's on her side, I mean you did that to a thirteen year old boy' like the mm-hmm. sweetest little boy, and what's burned into my mind with this case is that one video that we had listened to where yeah. you could hear his voice and he's crying, and she's like telling him all kinds of crazy stuff and. Mm-hmm. He just said he, that he was concerned about his burns and mm-hmm. <sighs> it, it was, it was a hard one to listen to. But when I think about this, this case, I think of that little voice and then the judge kind of put it together.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: You thought that you were a better mom than his biological mom. And then he probably made some smart ass remark that yep. you're not my mom or I miss my dad and you lost your shit and then you murdered him. Mm-hmm. And then he says that of the 200 cases that I presided over, jury trials, um, I've seen some bad cases. This is the worst I've ever seen. And being in this profession, um, just fact patterns,
2: mm-hmm.
0: it's one of the uh, worst that I've ever heard the way that he was murdered. And then having to, just days before his death, uh, hear that he was being tormented by this mm-hmm. evil lady. Yeah. That was straight out of a horror novel.
1: And she, holds, she shows no emotion while the judge is saying all that. She's just staring like,
0: eh. Oh, I sh- you should have asked her. So what personality is sitting in this chair now?
1: Yeah.
0: You know? <laughs> is this Maggie? I wonder what her darkness level is.
1: I know. And what what is her assigned name?
0: <laughs> oh. I wonder what demon is in her now. Oh, I wonder you. what Chad's going to do about it. We can ask Chad. <laughs> I wonder if he's going to get his lightsaber and, and 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 slice her aura open so that we could burn the demon. Maybe we could decrease her pain tolerance to one to give the, the demon more incentive to leave. I don't know. I've learned a lot of things today on this oh, show. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. About how demons and angels work, for one, multiple personality disorders. But that judge, he he did. He put it together. Mm-hmm. That was, he said... She offered all these explanations. First, she was raped by a guy named Ramon or something like Eduardo. that. Eduardo is what it was. I remember
1: my husband's name. I was like, oh,
0: great. <laughs> <Right. laughs> well, it wasn't that Eduardo. But, no. <laughs> and then there was another, like she was uh, kidnapped or something or someone had kidnapped him and then she thought he was an intruder in a cape. <sighs> it's... You know what? Um... What do you think? If what do you think is worse mm-hmm. to get the death penalty, knowing that you're going to spend probably ten to fifteen to twenty years in the appeals process before mm-hmm. your death of execution actually comes, and um, you're going to sit on death row until then, or just you're going to get life in prison without the possibility of parole? Which which would you prefer? I
1: feel like the po- life term with no possibility of parole it's it depends on the jail, I can never say the word prison that you (laughs) go to but I would like to think that she's going to have a hard time just living through that life sentence and that if she were sentenced to death penalty it's more of a, I don't know, it's more for the family rather than make her suffer. Like it just so quick that it's like, okay, yeah, that person is gone and doesn't really get to suffer through the whole life sentence. I, I don't feel
0: know. like people could adjust to living in prison yeah. and have like a mm-hmm. fairly normalized life. That's true. Like they're just reality, their universe shrinks. It's within the, the, the confines of the prison and mm-hmm. the confines of their cell. Mm-hmm. And um, they find entertainment where they could find it and okay. they just acclimate to it. Their brain just adjusts. Our brains bubble. are malleable. Mm-hmm. And um, I feel like prison without parole is probably not all that bad for people that are subjected to it. They at least know they get to live. They get three meals a day mm-hmm. in commissary and they get, um, they, they adjust to whatever life they're allowed to have in prison yeah. and with good behavior, they could, their accommodations don't have to be all that bad. You know, they're not all going to be sitting in maximum security prisons. And so, yeah, that's another thing. Cause I mean, that's
1: a whole other subject about how the jails work here and yeah. all of the rights that the people have that are in jail that I guess don't necessarily.
0: Well, believe punish. it or not, our prisons are <laughs> amongst the worst. They're not the worst. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know they're not the worst. (laughs) But they're amongst the worst.
1: Okay.
0: There's an argument for the reverse of that. Okay. Which is make the jails more rehabilitation centers, but Mm -hmm. actual rehabilitation centers and send them to like a condo and they get to cook from the cells or they still have to work, but they're like working on themselves towards some specific goal and then they're rehabilitated and then they don't commit more crimes. And in those... Countries. Uh, I'm thinking specifically of the Netherlands or yeah. was it Holland or something like that. It was in there.
1: Those countries that had seemed like
0: paradise. Yeah. And her. they don't have crimes <laughs> and everybody's perfect. and yes. You know, I mean, I don't know. Maybe, maybe, maybe it works. Yeah. I can't ever see us reforming prison life to that Mm-mm. in America. There's no chance, but um, maybe it works. Yeah. It's a... Uh, It's one way to go, but I think you still have to have some mechanism for punishment for the Letitia Stouches of the world and the Lori Vallow's who demonize their children and murder them. And, you know, what is the consequence Mm -hmm. into that? You know, I I once wrote a a paper in law school arguing Mm -hmm. for an extension of the Eighth Amendment for Mm -hmm. arguing for an expansion of the death penalty. Um that it should be not just for uh, murder cases, but they okay. should extend it to violent rapes and child molesters yeah. and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, on the grounds that it was not cruel and unusual, um, it was a, a sufficient deterrent for people to commit those kinds of mm-hmm. heinous crimes and that the Constitution was never intended uh, to protect or to act against the good citizens of that choose not to commit crimes. Mm-hmm. There has to be some mechanism by which we punish bad actors in the confines of the constitution. And it should allow for putting to death those that commit the worst crimes. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to remember what I wrote. Some nonsense (laughs) like that. I didn't know what I was talking about. I had to write a paper. I probably wrote it the night before. Mm -hmm. It was one of those. I didn't. It was like a researcher. It's like a full semester. One of the last things we had to do in law school. I forget. Mm -hmm. I don't know. But yeah, that was my paper. And do I believe that today? Um, I don't know. I don't know, man. Ten years of being an attorney is a uh, is warrant on me. I don't know <laughs> what I believe anymore. I was very idealistic in law school. I had lots of ideas. and
1: I think most people are idealistic in law school until they...
0: Oh, until they get into practice yeah. and they figure out, you ain't changing a goddamn thing. Like, mm-hmm. nothing is changing on account of you. I promise that. Um, gosh, I remember the, one of the first my first court appearances, I uh, was chatting up this other attorney that was just he'd been a public defender for like 10 years or mm-hmm. something. And he was just so done with this. Yeah. And um, I was there with one of my professors in law school because he mm-hmm. was an attorney. He was working for the DA. Okay. He wasn't a professor. He was like a trial team coach. Okay. One of my trial team coaches. And then he was making fun of my trial team coach because he said, oh, he's taking it too seriously. Um, and he's just speaking all sarcastically and negatively. Like, you think you're going to make a, tr- a difference, kid? You ain't changing anything from the inside. <laughs> Let me promise you that. And I was like, well, way to give me a pep talk, there, buddy. <laughs> you know, that's a great, out- that's a good attitude to have. Well, maybe you're not going to be the one. And I'm just like, oh, that. what a shitty life that guy's had, you know, to, to come or time in this career where he's been led to. Uh,
1: I think that's what most attorneys that have been practicing for a long time tell younger attorneys or like. People in law school, like yeah. it's a very high percentage, I think like that. And then a very, very little percentage They're like, oh, yeah, this is a beautiful profession. And although it has its highs and lows, like you can make a difference and all that.
0: Here's my take on it. When people want to go to law school, mm-hmm. I tell them that you just make sure that there's nothing else that you would rather yeah. do because it. It's not that it's a bad profession. Mm -hmm. It's not that you can't make a change. It's that you were going to sacrifice a portion of your spirit, a portion of who you are for whatever you think is the greater Mm -hmm. good. And you may not even be successful at it. There's only so many trials that you could do where you're fighting the good fight and then Mm -hmm. you have it handed to you because justice was not interpreted according to your definition that Mm -hmm. day. There's only yeah. so many times you can sit with the victim's family and watch their, see them and all of their emotion and their tears and uh, not be affected by it, mm-hmm. knowing that there's nothing you can do for them because their son did what they are accused of. And, you know, on the criminal aspect, yeah. and and from the civil aspect or the family law aspect, when you're dealing with children, there's only so many times you can watch yeah. parents lose their children. And yeah, maybe they they screwed up something or this or that or or whatever you perceive an injustice to be. There's just too many different interpretations of what justice yeah. is. Somebody's bound to be disappointed. Exactly. I mean, I'll tell you what. There's never been a case that I've ever had where everybody on all sides agreed with my interpretation of it. Mm-hmm. Like the judge has their opinion. I got mine, and the opposing counsel has mm-hmm. theirs. We're not going to agree. So, therefore, by default, unless I get 100% of the things I'm going after, then I've lost on certain issues in the case. And, you know, you agree, Mm -hmm. or disagree. Sometimes it's easier to stomach than others, but specifically when it involves children
1: yeah,
2: or
0: it involves uh, domestic (laughs) violence or something like that. Yeah,
1: domestic violence. That's a big
0: one. Or people's lives or great bodily injury or, Mm -hmm. you know, something like that where somebody's lives are totally affected. You cannot shield yourself from the fact that what you do in this profession has real ripple effects on the lives of others, and that is a difficult thing to stomach as an attorney. As you get older, does it get easier? Yeah, it does. But yeah. you're already, you've, you've already you you've already graded yourself out like that movie, The Trolls, where they turn all gray and stuff. You'll know that movie. You're, you <laughs> I haven't have, seen it yet. You got kids. <laughs> <laughs> you're gonna you'll you'll see it eventually. Trust me. You're gonna learn all about the trolls and the Bergens and oh God. that stupid color song at the end of the movie and
1: I think the only oh. cases that I can tell, yeah, they don't cost me any anxiety or emotion or anything are the cases where the other party doesn't participate at all. Like default oh, cases. Well, like, yeah.
0: yeah. Yeah. Those I, are easy. <laughs> I like those cases. <laughs> yeah. I'm just here, I'm checking in, checking out. Yes. You know, this is what it is. This is what
1: I want. No position. Done, uh, <laughs> but those are not that common.
0: <laughs> but I'll tell you what: what happens to an attorney um, when in these kinds of cases? So we mentioned that PD mm-hmm. for Latisha Stouch. Yeah, I empathize with him. You know, he's got a shitty case. Mm-hmm. At the end of it, I got upset with him because he's still advocating for his client even after the fact. When I do the same thing,
2: mm-hmm.
0: I've had case clients. I've had one criminal client that was convicted of his case for child molestation. Mm-hmm. I still, to this day, believe in his case, mm-hmm. but he was convicted, yeah. and so it's hard to shut that off. I can't. I shouldn't. I. Sh- it's not that he lost my respect. I'm just angry that I heard him say that because I have mm-hmm. a different version. Yeah. I believe that she did this, in, mm-hmm. but I have that liberty. When you're the defense attorney, you don't. Mm-hmm. You have to buy in, and then you do buy in. Your brain just shifts to you're advocating for this monster.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: She becomes a monster, and then you develop over the course of months. A relationship with this person and then mm-hmm. you start to buy into maybe you start to buy into their defense. Yeah. Maybe she really was Maggie instead of Leticia and she didn't remember, mm-hmm. which is clearly, I think, would happen with that attorney. Mm-hmm. But for better or worse, that is the profession. And so if you're thinking about being an attorney, just know, just know. I'm just gonna say this: make sure there's nothing else you would rather be doing. You really just want to be an attorney. There's nothing else you want to do. You don't want to be a carpenter. You don't want to work in law enforcement. You don't want to be a psychologist. You don't want to be whatever else.
1: Maybe do like a internship or. Work at a law firm. to a law firm, but for a couple of months, not just one or two days. For no, like a couple a of months, a year.
0: Spend and a year an undergrad or something.
1: Exactly. And then after that, make the decision if you want to go to law school. Because a lot of times, Once you're in there, like in the middle of your your doctor and you realize like, oh, this is not what I thought it was going to be a little bit late.
0: And you're already halfway in. Yeah. And there's not really what am I going to do now? I just spent a year and a half learning all of this shit. Mm -hmm. And you're like a year and a half away from graduating and in the bar. Yeah. um,
1: I mean, not saying that that's what happened to me, but I do remember before becoming entering law school, I wanted to be a veterinarian. And I still love everything related to being a veterinarian. Yeah. I did do an internship, and I realized I couldn't see myself every day smelling like PM poop from the dogs. <laughs> and I was like, "This is nice, but I I, I can't see myself doing this."
0: No, you know, I, well, I have no desire to do anything like that. But I couldn't imagine, <laughs> you know, I don't know. Some people like it.
1: Yeah, some people, some people like, like it. it. Yeah.
0: My wife could probably do something like that. She's mm-hmm. been wanting me to get like a. She wants to get like a um. She wants me to buy a farm. She wants to oh, raise chickens and stuff and goats.
1: I, I grew up with a farm and I want to retire with a
0: farm. Maybe I could, I could see doing that, but, um, I'm not sure if I can cut it as a farmer. I'm not sure. Sh- I'm just, no. I don't have a, you know what? I probably could. I th- I'll tell you what. I prefer working with my hands a lot more than I prefer working in the law. Sometimes mm-hmm. it just depends. I have good days and bad days. But, Everybody, um, yeah. I, I could see, she wants to buy like a compound and buy like goats and chickens. And goats
1: are fun. Rabbits very, very and stuff. Very intelligent.
0: Yeah. She wants to like harvest crops. It's like, we've been trying to plant this lemon tree. We've planted it like three or four years ago. It's produced like two lemons oh. in four It's like, <laughs> so I don't think we're very good at it, to be no, honest.
1: No green thumb there.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but at any rate, we've been, It's it's getting kind of late i have been doing this for an hour and 38 minutes. Ladies and gentlemen, this was episode 36 of the Tilted Lawyer podcast. Um, if you've been with us for the last hour and 40 minutes, I commend you and all of your patience. I sincerely thank you for sticking with us all the way till the end. Um, we are going to either be talking about, what was that case we were going to do? The one that just came up on our radar. Yeah, I
1: don't know their name, but it's about the The children's book writer. The children's
0: book writer. Yeah, Yeah, there was that one. And then Um, there was another guy that was on death row. He's scheduled to be executed. Um, And it's... Oh, I actually did my episode last week about this guy.
1: Okay.
0: Who... There was a, a witness that ended up getting him convicted, but he wants to recant a statement because he was oh. bullshitting because the cops put under all this pressure and he's facing execution like in a couple of days. Oh, wow. I was going to talk about him. But then we got this other case, the storybook killer. So she uh, writes a children's book mm-hmm. about the death, about dealing with death and people mm-hmm. losing your loved ones. And she's now been found Well, she hasn't found anything. They're accusing her of his murder. mm -hmm. Maybe we'll talk about that one. Maybe you guys can let us know what you prefer to do in the comments. Maybe we'll throw up a poll Mm -hmm. and uh, see which people prefer. But at any rate, thank you guys for listening. Um, Do not forget to lock your doors. Please lock your doors. Please uh, do not fall into the trap of chads with (laughs) weird religious ideologies. Hug your family members. You never know what's going to happen in this crazy world. And we will see you all next week. Bye-bye. Thank you all for listening to the entire podcast. We really do appreciate that. And as always, you can find us on YouTube on the Tilted Lawyer Podcast YouTube channel. or on your podcast carrier of choice. If you feel we've presented anything of value, please leave a five-star rating, like, and subscribe. We always appreciate that kind of thing. And we do look forward to seeing you all again live every Thursday at 3 in the afternoon. We love you all. Take care. Bye-bye.